Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Katie Lambert, joined by Sarah Dowdy. Hey, Sarah. Hi, Katie. So I've been trying to get you all morning to agree to do this podcast in dialect, but you won't. No, sorry. <laughs> but you have to at least throw in something oh, for I, me there. I can read some quotes in a semi-dialect. How about that? Okay, that's that's good enough. Thank okay. you. Today we're doing the Newsboys Strike of 1899, as in Newsies, the musical, but the real story, not the Disney one. So newspapers have been around for a while, obviously, but they really started picking up speed at the beginning of the 19th century when prices went way down and consequently circulation goes up. Um, and by the mid-19th century, there were about 400 dailies and 3,000 weeklies in the U.S. But there were two big ones. Two big ones. The New York World, owned by Joseph Pulitzer, and the New York Journal, owned by William Randolph Hearst, the two big guys in the newspaper publishing business. Yeah, and the competition between these two guys gets so intense that they start sensationalizing their stories, just making up stuff, basically. Libel was not a big deal at the time. But uh, this is the start of yellow journalism, which actually got its name from one of the cartoon characters in... A paper. Right. And at the time, Pulitzer and Hearst were busy trying to sabotage one another by stealing away each other's writers and cartoonists. And one cartoonist, Richard Alcol, I'm sorry, I don't know how to say his name, came up with a character of the yellow kid. And he appeared in one newspaper, which was in color, and people loved him. And so, of course, the other publisher promptly stole him away. And the yellow kid became the emblem of yellow journalism, really. But these two papers would just go at each other, and they would also kind of create stories of their own or blow stories that did exist out of proportion. They essentially drive the United States into war with Spain, which is pretty unbelievable if you think about it, that the Spanish-American War is largely the responsibility of two newspaper publishers. Such as the power of the media. <laughs> it's good for sales, apparently, too. We will not start a war on the podcast. No, don't worry. <laughs> but New York City was also home of the Newsboys. It was. And the first one was probably about 1833, 10-year-old selling copies of the New York Sun on the street. And this is different because before then, newspapers used to be sold in stores or sold through subscription. Right. So you'd have newsboys or paper boys who would, you know, just like today, come to your house, deliver your paper. That's a subscription that's already existing now. The newsies were out on the street hawking these things. Well, and they bought them wholesale. They weren't working for, say, the New York Journal or the New York World. They had to buy a big bundle of them, like a 100, for 50 cents. And they wouldn't, the papers wouldn't buy back the unsold papers. Yeah, so So, it's a huge risk. Right. You had to sell all 100 or you were out. Yeah. And most of these boys were really poor from, you know, tenement they're little kids, too. Some as young as about six years yeah, old. Six was the youngest one I saw. So imagine them, you know, you have a 100 papers that you're trying to sell. You're six years old. You, you're going to stay out as late as you can until the All next night. paper comes <laughs> out, basically, trying to sell what you have to to make your profit. 
When I like that if they couldn't sell them, they would just make up headlines and start, you know, yelling about like a bridge collapsing. And yeah, so people would come and buy <laughs> extra, extra, read all about the bridge that never happened. Yeah, it's like, oh, that's on A20. <laughs> <laughs> so people would buy the papers. But Hearst and Pulitzer saw their profits go down in the summer of 1899. Yeah, which is after the Spanish-American War, which they'd seen their profits go up. Right, so it's only natural that they would go down, but they decided to take advantage of it, and they didn't want to charge their customers any more money because they didn't think they'd go for it. So instead, they came up with the crafty plan to make the newsies pay instead. So 100 papers were now 60 cents instead of 50 cents, and a dime is a huge difference in 1899 for a poor little newsboy. Yeah, so the boys go on strike, demanding that these two publishing giants lower their prices back to 50 cents. And that was their only real demand. They didn't have anything about working hours or buying back the papers or anything. They just wanted things to go back to where they were, which wasn't even that great. So it's not an unreasonable request. But New York was kind of in the middle of a strike fever at this time. The streetcar employees were striking, the freight handlers on the railroad piers, the telegraph messenger boys. So everybody was worked up about better conditions or rights or whatnot. But it didn't work for some of them, like the messenger boys, because they didn't have effective leadership. It was just you know, kind of a bunch of boys yelling about stuff and throwing some stones, and then it ended. But that's not what happened with the newsboys. No, the newsboys had little Kid Blink, a kid who was blind in one eye, who was basically their leadership. And the boys refused to sell papers. But not only did they refuse to sell, they harassed all the scabs. Yep, and for the newsstands that continued to sell the journal in the world... They would mob them and steal the papers and rip them up. And as Pulitzer and Hearst started to fight back and hire these big burly guys to sell papers in front of the publishing houses, the boys even would go after them, create huge mobs to go up these grown Go up against grown men. And it doesn't sound that scary, like, you know, six-year-olds coming up against you with rocks. <laughs> but most of them weren't. They were a little bit older, like 10 or 11. And they'd all grown up in the streets. And they tough were pretty kids. tough kids. And well, they were not going to stand for it. Still, you get, uh, there's one episode at 42nd Street in Vanderbilt with 50 strikers going against some of these big goons of Pulitzer and Hearst's. Uh, Another with 300 strikers. So even if they're six years old or a lot of kids. And if you've ever been attacked by a small child as well. (laughs) And they, I think, even took papers out of citizens' hands who bought them. Yeah, this one episode with the 300 strikers, they see five men selling. They jump them and scatter the papers all over the street. And then... These people start picking them up and reading. They're kind of cheapskates, I guess. <laughs> picking the papers up off the ground. And the newsies grab the papers out of their hand and rip them up. What? And they had publicized their strike pretty well. They put up signs everywhere saying, one of them, I read, said, kill the guy what sells the extras. So seriously, don't buy. And they were explaining to people what the problem was. Yeah. But we did like their little, their code of ethics. Yeah, they, they didn't go after the older women who sold papers. Uh, these w- A lot of the women weren't joining the strike. It was kind of a youth movement, I guess. 
and they didn't attack them. And Kid Blink even said that he didn't like it. He wished that they wouldn't sell the journal in the world, but he wasn't going to go after a woman. He was quoted in the paper as saying, a feller can't soak a lady. All right, there's Katie's count dialect. (laughs) (laughs) It's not real dialect, y'all. Another time we'll convince Sarah to do it. (laughs) But they did have some support. They did. They, uh, the Harlem Newsboys actually organized into a union, and the several of the boroughs sent delegates to a newsy board, basically. They also got some support from the News Dealers and Stationers Association, and ex-assemblyman Philip Wizig told them, now keep up the fight, don't violate the law, don't use dynamite. But stick together and you will win. I'm not sure if that was a provocation. It's like, <laughs> now, now. Don't use dynamite. Use dynamite. The other papers were thrilled that the Journal and the World were going against each other like this because they were hoping to sell more. And but- actually, it's paid off because Katie and I did a lot of our research through the New York Times for this, right. which has archives from 1899 where they're covering this, this right. story. Yeah. Because the actual papers couldn't really or wouldn't. And the newspaper accounts are really weird. We both had a really good time reading them this morning. That's why we keep talking about dialect, because they printed the kids like that. Yeah. They actually, all the quotes are written in dialect. So instead of certainly, they say certainly. And you're reading it like, really? But that's what they did. And yeah. it's it's kind of patronizing. Like, they didn't take them seriously and wanted to paint them in this in this sort of way, but the other side of it is kind of Dickensian. I, I doubt adorable. AP style permits that now. <laughs> but it, it does go along with this sensationalism, too. Right. Have great Making co- it as great picturesque if they're in dialect. Yeah. But a lot of kids during a strike are going hungry because a lot of them are homeless and some of them work to support their own families. So all this time they're not making those nickels and dimes is a big deal. And it's going on for a while. The Journal and World keep on saying that they're doing fine. They're not having any problems. But they weren't. But they really are hurting. Their sales go down 60%. And they're getting to the point where they've got to break some kind of deal with the newsies. And so they come to an agreement that price for that stack of 100 papers is still going to be 60 cents. They're not going to bring it back down to 50. But they will take back unsold papers for a refund. And that kind of leads into child labor concerns, because if they can return these papers, then that might mean they don't have to stay up till past midnight, a six-year-old selling papers. Yeah, it kind of gives you the option to give up at the end of the day. Right. You're not selling. If the stories aren't good, to just cut your losses. And after the strike, people did start meeting to find out what the plight of the Newsies was and realized how young some of these kids were and how dangerous some of the conditions were. They were you know, jumping trolley cars to get around, and many of them lost limbs that way, and they were poor, and they were staying up too late, and there was no effort at all to regulate any of it. No, and some of the suggestions at the time, this doesn't sound very progressive nowadays, but one was to not allow boys under 10 on the street after 9 p.m. or to get parental consent from all the boys' parents. Uh, and then a suggestion that sounds pretty good, actually, that they should all be badged and uniformed. Yeah. So it, you think it would make it a little safer. So a lot of them used to go around and selling at places like saloons and would say that, you know, drunk men said bad things to them, but they would also tip them well. Yeah. So that's where they went. But 
clearly most people don't want a seven-year-old in a saloon. Uh, but industrialized states did start to have some child labor restrictions in the late 19th century, but most didn't start until the Depression and the Fair Labor Standards Act of 1938 finally set a minimum working age of 14 and 16 with certain conditions. Right. And there were a lot of other industries that were going through this as well at the time. Mill workers were notoriously badly treated. And actually, the newspaper industry itself starts to change a lot after this. So something like the Newsies plight would become less of an issue anyways over time as newspapers started to have syndicated columns, syndicated comics, just little things you could plug into your paper that were available nationally. Sensationalized journalism was less of the selling point. Right. And we had, at the time of the strikes, found a little ad that we enjoyed that said, please don't buy the evening journal and world because the Newsboys has striked. So it's something to remember. If you'd like to learn more about strikes and labor unions, come to the website and check out the blog on our homepage at www.howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com. And be sure to check out the Stuff You Missed in History Class blog on the howstuffworks.com homepage. 